0: Hey my friends, you know what I think is the full extent of deconstruction is when you realize after all the years of research, all the hours of prayer and worship and church attendance and meditation, that it just seems worthless, just ashes, and you Realize that religion, even though it does some good in the world, has produced some of the cruelest, meanest, nastiest, hateful people on the planet. So I am in this church, this spirit-filled church. I am helping with ministry. I am really, really fulfilled because my schedule is very full. I work a lot. And then when I'm not at work, I am hanging out with the um, girls that I am discipling. And when I'm not hanging out with those girls, I am hanging out with the women who are discipling me. And when we're not doing that, I'm in small group. And when I'm not in small group, I'm in my prayer closet. And when I'm not in my prayer closet, I'm not at work and I'm not at small group and I'm not in discipleship, I'm at church. I have no time to think of myself. I have no time to consider the fact that I'm still emotionally traumatized by lots of things that have happened. I'm still clinically depressed and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding all of that because I can't focus on anything else. It's just church. It's all. I'm just sunk in. And now, right now, what all of you are thinking is, where in the world is he going? I know all across our north campus, our online family, south campus, you're just thinking, thanks for the encouragement, Pastor David. That's why I came this morning, and I'm done. And you're going to be tempted, if you're online, just to turn off. If you're part of our physical services, you may be thinking about tuning out, and I encourage you not to do that. We need to go on a journey, a journey that I can't tell you will always be easy, But have you discovered that most of the things in life that are good are not always easy? And sometimes we're missing a lot of the good, if even the best, because we are not willing to do that which is not as easy. That word you heard, deconstruction, is a word that's becoming increasingly popular in our society, especially in the realm of social media. It is the most recent word, but there have been words for centuries, literally, that talk about not just the questioning and the doubting of elements of the Christian faith, but the ultimate rejection of the foundational aspects of Christianity. I understand that for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard the word. You may have had no knowledge of it whatsoever, but I just want you to trust me, it's being used again and again in our society, especially among those who are younger. But the idea, the practice, the thought is nowhere close to new. To new, Jesus told a parable, which really is the foundational of all, of all parables, called the uh, parable of the sower or the parable of the sil- soils. And unlike some of the other parables Jesus told, he actually explained this one to us. And in the explanation, he said, the farmer sows the word. So we know it's about the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in there. They have nothing. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive. Somebody say receive. Notice where they receive it, but not only receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. Now we have no definition of what short time is, just relatively speaking to life. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, maybe questions or doubts, they quickly fall away. Still others like seeds sown among the sword, thorns hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word out, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on the good soil, hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop, produce fruit, 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So in the parable, Jesus talks about four ways to receive the words of God. Utterly reject it, be a person who produces for, fruit, but in two of the kinds of soil, there are people who apparently receive the word, which means at some level they make a profession in faith in the reality of Jesus and what he did. They say, we are going to become a follower of Jesus in our life. And they submit to his leadership at least for a season. But then, for various reasons, they quit and they go another direction. That, in essence, is deconstruction. And Jesus ended the parable by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which is an ancient way of saying, Make sure you pay attention to me. Don't miss this. Throughout the New Testament, several times, phrases are used like, be on your guard, be sober, be alert. Passages like 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded and alert. So the comparison is, don't have your mind act like it's drunk, where it can't understand, where it can't think. Be sober-minded and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. See, what we're told is we can't be casual We have an enemy who is seeking to do one thing, and that is to destroy our faith. And I understand, even as I say that, some of you are thinking, David, that's impossible. You know what they say, once saved, always saved. That phrase, once saved, always saved, is a phrase that is derived from a doctrine, a doctrine that I believe is correct, called the doctrine of perseverance. The doctrine of perseverance, however, doesn't deny what Jesus said when He said, "Let us have, He who has ears to hear, let him hear." It doesn't deny the words of the Apostle Paul, who says, "Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith." Question: Why would we be told to stand firm in the faith if it was automatic? We're going to stand firm in the faith. Be men, be women of courage, be strong. See, the doctrine of perseverance actually says that those who are saved will persevere. Perseverance is a sign of salvation, not a guarantee in life. Make sure it says that you are those who persevere. So I need you to listen to me. There will be seasons in your life that questions will arise. There will be difficult seasons where doubts will come to our mind. That is a normal part of the Christian journey. It might be a season of like, say, a pandemic. And what's going on and what's not going on. And we tend not to be a people who verbalize those Because we think that maybe it's a lack of faith. There will be things that occur. Things that God allows to happen. Things that don't happen that you think should happen. That will make you not just question the the world, but question God. When Jesus was meeting with his early followers of Jesus right after the resurrection. We don't know when in the 40-day period this happened, but the scripture says in the 11, so we're just talking about the core guys, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to be, and there they worshiped him, but they also what? Doubted. See, don't, don't miss this reality. These 11 men are the foundation of the group of people, the small group of people who would literally change the course of the world. At this moment, they are seeing the resurrected Jesus with their eyes. They can touch him. They can eat dinner with him. All these things are happening, yet in the midst of that, they still had questions. They still had doubts. They had questions that they had to work through. And when they worked through those questions, it brought a debt to their faith that enabled them not to survive. Listen to me. The goal of our faith is not to make it. The goal of our faith is to be who God called us to be, to be the world changers that he has designed us to be. But they had to journey through some of these issues of life. If that was true of them, who are we to think that it will not be true of us? So what we're going to do over the course of the next several weeks is we're going to hit what I believe are some of the top questions that people are asking this day, these days. Now, do I think that I can answer them in totality in the minutes that I have? No. But I think we can get a good shot at them. And if you want to go further with them, you're going to have resources you'll be able to look at. But we're going to look at questions like, how can God, a good God, allow people to suffer? How could a loving God send anybody to hell? Hasn't science disproved Christianity? Questions like that. And I understand some of you are thinking, I I, I don't have those questions right now. Listen to me. If you don't have them now, you will. I've been doing this a long time. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm getting a little long in the tooth. See, that was a chance for you to go, no, you're looking fine, Pastor David, and I am for an old man, right? I've been involved in the lives of thousands. It ain't my first rodeo, and I've seen the journey not just with the young, but with the old, with the middle age and all, and I will tell you, it has been my experience that every Jesus follower will experience a crisis at some point in their life. It's okay. We're all going to have moments of questions. And what people, where people fail is they just don't even dive into the question. The question is an opportunity. The question can press us deep into the matters of the Gospels if we will take advantage of it. And if you happen to be thinking right now, I know that's well and good for everybody else who's here. South Campus, North Campus, all online folks around the world. Good for them, but I am never going to be in that place in my life. If that's you, just remember I said this from 1 Corinthians. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. I remember when one of the questions rose in my life. I, I was one, on one of my many trips to Israel, and I met up with a couple of young ladies who had become part of a 11-month short-term mission program. I don't know that 11 months is short-term in my mind, but that's what they called it. They were the first um, group of a people called, uh, embarking on what's called the world race, where they actually went to 11 nations over the course of 11 months. And it happened to coincide that we were in Israel at the same time. And we met for a, a cup of coffee, and they talked about the things that they were learning and things they saw God was doing that was so great and things that they had struggled with. And then they invited me to join them in the house of a Arab family, family they had met who invited them over for dinner, an Arab Muslim family. It wasn't until that moment when I said yes that I was going to go into a Muslim household that I realized the seeds of something existed inside of me that were not of God. I would tell you they were sinful, though I could not have verbalized and In fact, I would have argued the point. Deep down, I viewed every Muslim through the eyes of words like terrorism, jihadism, such as that. It was the seed of racism inside of me. I thought every Muslim was going to embark upon a holy war, which, by the way, they are not. So we went to dinner. And I'm just going to tell you this is one of the most hospitable families I've ever been a part of in my life. No one does hospitality like Arabs. It, it, was, it was incredible. They were kind. They were gracious. And here, here's what was so radical. It's hard for Americans to believe this. We had a discussion about religion. And we were nice to each other. I know, you think, well, did y'all talk about politics too? We actually did. We dove into, believe it or not, Israeli politics. And we were still nice to each other. You say, that is impossible. There was a move of God, I know, right there. But it is absolutely possible. It was a wonderful thing. And we talked about facets of our faith and our faith. There are things that are foundationally different. And I left there. In one, thinking, I do not yet have God's hearts for the nations, and I ask God to give me more of his heart for peoples around the world. But I remember wondering, these people are so nice. They're so kind. Do they really need Jesus? See, there's a question being asked today that no one in churches like ours will dare to ask. So I'm going to throw it out to you, and the question is this. Can Jesus really be the only way to God? And I promise you, it's not just me who went to a Muslim home who asked the question, it's being asked in churches like ours all over the place, but no one talks about it. There are surveys that are being done, and I don't know that you can take surveys as gospel. In fact, I know you can't, but several of them have been done in 2021 about matters of faith. And this question has risen up. And if these surveys say anything, this question is among us right now. Some of these studies indicate that up to 70% of people who call themselves Christians, 7 out of 10 will say that Jesus is not the only way that someone can get to God. And if you go further in the studies, it's people who will say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I get Jesus, but people can get to heaven no matter what they believe, or it's arrogant to impose our ideas on others, or the Bible tells us not to judge others. By the way, judge not lest you also be judged this is the most quoted verse in all the Bible, and I'm going to tell you, it's the most misquoted verse in all the Bible. But we do it all the time. On and on, the reasons go, and I understand the heart behind them, that there's just one problem with that. Jesus. The words of Jesus himself. Now, some of you say, well, maybe the words in the Bible aren't Jesus. We're going to talk about that as one of the questions. Can we really trust the Bible? Which is really the foundation. But we're going to make the assumption we can trust the Bible. Because that's where we get the heart of Christianity. It's in that Bible that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I know even as we ask the question, you may be thinking, thinking, well, maybe Jesus didn't really mean by that what it seems like he meant. Maybe we misunderstand him, and maybe it's a translation, because you know we have to translate this from an original language to English. I will tell you, to the best of my knowledge of the original language, it's a pretty good understanding. And if we say we misunderstand Jesus, we've got to look at those that were closest to him. Remember those 11? The 11 who spent three years with him? The 11 who saw him after the resurrection for 40 days, they had some questions and doubts they had to walk through? When those 11 spoke about him, They reiterated the same things about Jesus, that Jesus said. Like, Peter was told by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to no longer speak about Jesus as the way. And Peter said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, context, except the name of Jesus under heaven, by which mankind might be saved. I mean, think about it. If Jesus didn't mean it when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that I'm the only way to God, why did he send people out to share the message of Jesus? I mean, why would he tell his followers that you need to go into all the world and tell about me if it didn't matter what people believe? They could believe whatever they wanted to believe as long as they're sincere and they're going to be right with God. Why would he take people that he loves, send them into places where they're going to be persecuted, send them in places where they're going to be hurt, send them in places that they are going to die? If there was another way to get to God, why would he put them through this? See, I think we have this misunderstanding of the first century. When it comes to the persecution of Jesus' followers, we think that somehow the Roman Empire had a big, big God, one God, and then Christianity came along and opposed that God, and Christianity is persecuted because we oppose that one big God of Rome. Hear me, that's not the case. The Roman Empire is much like America today. The Roman Empire was pluralistic. Here's how Rome would say it. There are many ways to get to God. Pick your way, and we're great with it. No problem. See, Rome would conquer people. That's how they expanded their kingdom. They would go and they would conquer. But they wanted to keep people uh, in a place where they could be controlled. They wanted taxes from them. They wanted income and all that. But they really didn't care what they believed. And so they would conquer a people and say, you can keep some of your traditions and you can keep your religion. And we will just add your God, little g, to our plethora of gods. And so Rome just had this growing assortment of gods, little g. And you could pick from whichever gods you wanted to pick from, and whatever you thought was right, that was okay. That would make you right with God. So the question would be, why persecute followers of Jesus? Why not just add Jesus among all the other little g gods? Simple. The early Christians wouldn't let it happen. Every time a Roman citizen would say, hey, you just, are just Jesus just one of many gods, they'll say, no, no, he's the only God. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And here was the big one. They would say that Caesar was not God. And so in the Roman Empire, you had to say Caesar is Lord, and they say, nah, we'll do a lot of things for Rome. We'll submit, but we will not say Caesar is Lord. There is only one Lord, and there is only one king, and we will only bow to him. Jesus alone is Lord, and he is alone God. And they would persevere in that reality, no matter the persecution, no matter the death. I remember standing on the floor of the Roman Colosseum, and people around talking about the grandness of Rome, and all. All I could think about were believers who were put into that Colosseum. And they were used as chattel for this weird entertainment of the Romans only because they would not say Caesar is Lord. Listen to me. There is no doubt that Jesus and his followers taught that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He's the only way to be right with God. Even though this is historically clear, people today, I'm telling you, in the church, we struggle with it. And I get it. And there's arguments for this. Here are some of the most common arguments. Number one, people will say believing Jesus is the only way is arrogant. And often what is, is done is a story is told. Uh, it's an Indian parable, actually, about three blind men who see an elephant. Three blind men go up to an elephant, and they touch different body parts, so therefore they describe the elephant in only what they can perceive. And so one blind guy touches the body, and he says, an elephant's like a big wall. Another blind guy touches the trunk, and he says, no, an elephant is like a snake. Another one touches the tusk, and that guy says, no, no, an elephant is like a sword. The people who tell the story say that this parable is that one blind man cannot see the whole picture. They don't have that capability, and so what they need to do is be open to all the other blind people who are giving them info into this, and together maybe they have closer to a picture. And they will say in the same way, no one religion has all the answers. No one religion can in any way be closer than other religions. But if you listen to them all together, then maybe then we can get closer to the truth. But there's only one problem with that. The assumption of the story is that the one telling the story can see the whole elephant. So in essence, the person who is saying there are many ways to God is the one who is saying, I can see the whole picture and every other religion of the world can only see a limited picture, which in and of itself, let's be honest, makes the pluralist the one with the arrogant view. See, here's what I'm telling you. I'm not trying to discount other people and be disrespectful i am just saying believing jesus is the only way to god isn't any more arrogant than believing there are many ways to god or believing in some other religion will people think it's arrogant if you hold to a truth absolutely but that doesn't make it arrogant holding to any standard will do that now the question is are there arrogant christians yeah you say are you gonna have us raise our hands i'm not gonna have you raise your hands I understand the reality there's a thing called pride. And at some level, every one of us deals with it. I know that sometimes in the name of being Christian, people have been very unchristian. Listen to me. God wants to birth a humility in our heart. A humility based on the gospel. God opposes the proud, the scripture says, but gives grace to the humble. But just because a Christian might struggle with pride at a deep, deep level doesn't make a belief about Jesus being the only way more arrogant than any other way. Another argument, people will say that religion is just a matter of personal choice, that each of us can decide what we believe, and as long as we're sincere, we're okay. Sincerity is all that matters. Now, let me be clear about this. Jesus gives everyone on planet earth personal choice. We're going to talk about that with the question next week. Each person on planet Earth can decide whether they want to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. He never forces. He never coerces. He never does any of that. We, as his followers, we believe the same thing. No one, listen to me, no one should be forced or coerced in any way into a faith journey. Amen? That, by the way, is probably the thing I love most about our nation. Most of the founders of our nations were Christians. They were followers of Jesus. But the norm of the world at the time, the known world, the Western world, which would have primarily been Europe, the norm of the world is when you became a citizen of that nation, you were forced into a place of Christianity according to what was the norm of that nation. So if you were born as a British citizen, you were a Christian in the Church of England. If you were born into Germany, you were a Christian in the Lutheran Church. If you were born into France, you were a Christian in the Catholic Church. But our founding fathers looked at all that and said, no, no. No one should be forced or coerced to follow Jesus. Though we follow Jesus, many of them would say, we believe every person should be able to determine on their own whether they follow uh, Jesus and not due to the coercion or force of a government. Now, that doesn't mean that those founding fathers who were Christians didn't believe Jesus was the only way, the truth, and life. Many of them absolutely did. But they also honored God's design by not forcing anybody upon that. They followed God's design by creating a nation where they were, listen to this, was not only a freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. And they did that because of their love of Jesus Christ. But there is a difference, listen to me, between personal choice, which God gives to us, and this idea of what you might call personal preference, because people will say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, whatever you prefer, and that will be okay. And the idea is that somehow sincerity creates truth. I will challenge to you that you can be sincerely wrong. I remember when my son was a little guy, and we were at a little league ball game, and one of the things you had to do at a little league ball game, man, you go to the concession stand. Many kids just, I mean, they don't even want to go to the ball game for the concession stand. That's a great. And I had, a, I had a, a, a soda, a Diet Coke, in one of the concession stands cup. And I was sitting by somebody who went to the church, and they also had one of those concession stand cups, but it didn't have soda in it. It actually had the spit that he had from the dip he had in his lip. And so my cup was sitting right here on my left. His cup was right beside my cup on the right, his right. The game got intense. Well, maybe the dad got intense. That may be the better thing about youth sports. And I went, but I couldn't let go of the game, so I reached down to get my Diet Coke. You see where this is going, don't you? And I picked this up. Now, here is my conjecture. I picked up that cup sincerely believing it was my Diet Coke, but it was something else. My question is this. If I had drank what was in the other cup that I picked up, would it have tasted like Diet Coke because of my sincerity? I postulate it would not have. (laughs) By the grace of God, I did not find out. I promise you, I got that within a millimeter of my lip. Watching the game when I, oh God is good, I smelled what was in there. And I put that down. I punched my friend said, you get that? Anyway, um, I probably had to repent after what I did there, etc. You know what I'm saying, right? Sincerity, no matter how deeply it is held, does not create what is true and right. We don't want to go that direction. Because if we believe sincerity creates truth, then you have to say Hitler was true and right. No one more sincerely believed in the... The supremacy of the Aryan race. No one believed more sincerely in the needed extermination of the Jews. Yet we won't hold to that. Listen to me. No one, no matter what a person sincerely believes, it doesn't change the truth about the reality of God. Truth is not created in the mind of a human, it is revealed. From God himself. It is what Jesus said. Jesus said, for this purpose I was born into the world, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to a truth. Now, to bear purpose to the truth. In fact, he goes even further. Everyone who belongs to the truth, what? Listens to me. Another argument, people say that believing Jesus is the, way, is the only way it causes people to feel morally superior to others. I would actually tell you the exact opposite of that is true. If you hold to the gospel, because here's where the gospel begins. To become a Christian, you start by saying, I'm a moral failure. At my core, I am sinful and can't do enough to be right with God. My goodness is like filthy rags before God. But Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. And he made a way for me and everyone to be right with God if I choose to follow him. So in the words of the Apostle Paul, this is a trustworthy saying. You've got to listen to it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That is why we share Jesus with a Muslim family. Not because we believe what we had was superior, but because we believe in this, that everyone in the world is a sinner and only people can be right with God through what Jesus did. If there exists a sense of moral superiority in the heart and mind of a Christian, if we think somehow I am better than any other person on planet earth, it is not because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is because we have forgotten the heart of the gospel. That arrogance is not something that God wants us to hold. We should have a heart that goes out for all people. That is the core of the gospel. Last argument. People will say this. Well, believing Jesus is the only way is divisive. Now, it is true there is an exclusivity to Christianity. Christianity doesn't automatically happen. People are given a choice by God and those who say yes become part of the family. Christianity teaches there is only one way to be right with God. However, and I stole this term from another guy, and it's a great term. Christianity is the most inclusive exclusive, exclusivity there is. You get what I'm saying there? It's the most inclusive because no one will be left out. You don't get left out because of your race. You don't get left out because of your gender. You don't get left out because of your past sins. There is nothing that exists on planet Earth that can keep somebody from being a Christian except an individual saying no to Jesus. Everyone is welcome. You say, David, you don't know my background. Don't care. You don't know what people said about me. Don't care. I don't know anything about your individual story. I know this. Jesus wants you. And he wants not just you, he wants every person on planet earth. And you pick that people group that are in your mind that you think are so far from Jesus that there's no way. Jesus is going after them. I had a phone call the other day with a ministry partner and we're talking about getting two people groups together that have been enemies for a long period of time. I'd tell you about it, probably have to kill you if I did it, so I'm not going to give you there. But he asked me a question that shook me because I said, I said, the people group I know, they'll be there. And he said, I need you to make sure you know what you're getting into. He said, I'm talking about taking people who were not too long ago terrorists. Like David, I could start naming names of terrorist figures that you know their name and these people knew them well. And he started listing some names that I'm not going to tell you for the safety of these guys. And I said, they've become followers of Jesus. And now they want to intermingle with this group as fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Do you think your people will have a problem with that? And I paused for a moment and I said, how long they've been following Jesus? (laughs) And he shared some of their stories all I could do is have tears in my eyes and say God is still taking Saul's and he's making them Paul he is still doing the work of the gospel that is what the gospel does that no matter who they are the least likely he goes after them listen to me Jesus isn't trying to keep anybody out for God so loved the world the world that's a pretty inclusive word he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son That whoever among the world believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He loves, but love demands there is a choice. A choice that we honor in the lives of other people. And this choice, listen to me, is why we respect all people. We don't look down on anyone. We don't look at ourselves as superior to anyone If we have grace to believe in Jesus Christ, it is only because of the grace of God. And if there's an ounce of anything inside of us that thinks we had anything to do with it, may God kill that pride inside of us. And may we look with a broken heart upon people who do not yet know him. We honor and respect people. Listen, I'm not saying you have to respect every belief. I don't think anywhere in the scripture Jesus respected belief. He went deeper than that. Jesus respected people even when he disagreed with their belief. And that is what you and I are called to do. But while respecting all people, while loving and honoring all people, we don't back away from the core of what Jesus said. Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you're tempted to believe, which is the norm of our culture right now, that there's more than one way to God, if you think we're just being too rigid, I want to ask you one question. If that is true, why did Jesus die on the cross? I mean, if we really believe Jesus, now if you say, I don't know that Jesus died on the cross, that's a different matter. But if you say, I believe Jesus died on the cross, if he's not the only way, why did he die? Why did he become a human? Why did he take sin upon himself? Why something so torturous? Why put himself through all that? And I've heard people say, well, it's just because he loves us. I mean, come on, if there were all these other ways to be right with God, how in the world does it make sense that Jesus dying for us is an act of love? How does it make sense that it's an act of love unless I had a need that only his death could meet? Why is his resurrection such a big deal? If I could do just uh, enough good things, if I could just be sincere enough in whatever it is that I want to believe, and it will be fine. Now, if you hold to the cross and the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection shout. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. The cross the resurrection. God becoming flesh, dying for his people, going not just to the grave, I believe. I can't prove it to you absolutely scripturally. I think it's alluded to that Jesus not only went to the grave, but he became a complete substitute for us, and he actually went to hell. And he suffered the hell that you and I are destined to suffer without him, and he fought hell. Three days! he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He came out holding the keys. Say, I own it. And death does not have to have its stranglehold on you. I give you that same authority if you will become mine. And I offer it to everyone in the world. The cross and the resurrection shout that we had the gravest of needs that could be met in no other ways. And a father with the grandest of hearts that would go to the greatest of lengths. For you and I. Listen to me. No one has to believe in Jesus. He gives us that choice. And if you have a question mark about the reality of Jesus, the place to start is the cross and the resurrection. That is the crux. Everything in Christianity rises and falls on the cross. Everything else is secondary. You look at that. You find out if that really happened and if that really happened, it says it speaks of the truth of Christianity. If it did not happen, then we are of all people fools. To be doing what we're doing. We have a choice. But I'm telling you this. He can't be one choice among many. He can't be one choice among many options to be right with him. By his own words. He has not left you and I that choice. So let's do this. Let's take a moment. Let's pray right now. Come on. If you're confident that you've had grace to receive Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior. You ought to be saying thank you. Your heart should be overwhelmed with the gift of revelation because Jesus himself said, no one can come to the Father unless I enable him to do it. So if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it is not because you are smart. It is not because you are deserving. It is because of the goodness of God. and It is because of his grace, and let us say thank you. And it may be that you are part of what we're doing. Online, South Campus, North Campus, it matters not. And you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus. You've thought that there's no way he could take me. Maybe you thought I had to come to church for so many weeks in a row. I have to get so good in my life. i got to get some stuff cleaned up. You can never get cleaned up enough. You can never do enough good things. You can't do it. That's why Jesus came. You don't get right in your actions so you can get right with God. What you do is you get right with God through Jesus Christ, and he gets your actions right. He gets your mind right. He gets your heart right. All you do is you say, yes. Yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm a moral failure. Yes, I receive you. You do so right now, and he changes the essence of who you are in a moment, if you mean it. Life will show over the course of time whether you mean it because those who are his will persevere. Here's what I believe is the call for us. I believe there's a call to truly love all people. The cry of the gospel is the cry of God's heart and his love for all people right now. I'm asking for an increase of love, an increase of his heart for people around our community for people around our state and our nation, people around the world. More than ever, I want us to be part of taking the wonderful news of Jesus to those who don't know it. And I want to do so. When people disrespect me, I want to respond with respect. When people are unkind to me, I want to respond with kindness. When people curse because I believe in the name of Jesus, I bless because I believe in the name of Jesus. That is who we are. If you would ask God, if you would join me and just say, I want to love deeper than I have. I want to say thank you to Jesus for who he is, and I want to be more like him in this world. I want to love people. I want to live to bless them and find their way back to him. If that's you, if you say, God, I really want to do that, put your hand up right now. Say, Jesus, help me love more deeply. Help me respect more. Help me to walk with your heart towards people. That's what this question is ultimately all about. Father, we say yes. All of us right now, we say yes. Fill us with your love, Father. Fill us with a knowledge of your love for us that overwhelms us. And fill us with a knowledge of your love for people that we can carry with us. Help us to love you more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And most, Father, in that, man, let us in the way we live and the words we say, let them have the best opportunity to know who the reality of Jesus is. And we will leave the harvest of any individual to you. In Jesus' name, amen.